This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I would say that we are not very good in uh, branding ourselves or in a way like what you said, marketing ourselves well. So I think that is one thing that we are seriously discussing in our coming up Congress. And we really, like I said, that we have the substance, we have ideas, yeah, but yeah, we no really need to put it out in a way that the dream would be if we can sort of grow to a level where the public can perceive us as what Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn is ah, doing in the yes, UK. Yes. There is a very clear misinformation or say a misperception whereby people really look at us as a as a party for the proletariat only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a party which only is keen on fighting for plantation workers, a party which is only keen on fighting for the urban poor and the B40. We are not only that. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Night School, the show that explores concepts, theories and society and its related politics. Joining us this week is Mr. Sivarajan Arumugam, Secretary General for Party Socialist Malaysia, where we're going to reflect on the socialist strategy moving forward after GE14, the shocks and the lessons learned from that experience. Welcome to the show, Siva. Hi, uh, welcome. What? Thank you. Thank you for having us. So, I guess let's start with your impressions and thoughts so far now that we're just past the one month mark. What comes to mind I mean, based on what you've observed? Well, basically the elections, I think that um, it is a victory for the Malaysian people after all these years that we were able to sort of get rid of the Barisan National Coalition. A bit of inward looking, I think the party had some discussions on our positions during the elections. So I think it was, even though we did suffer quite a bad defeat, but in a way that it is a way that we also find that it also gave us an opportunity whereby we were able to put forward candidates from the normal working mm-hmm. people. So I think that was something that even though that we did not win, but that gave us an opportunity to do that among some of them, even like uh, lorry drivers, farmers, yeah. the indigenous community, Orang Asli and so on. So in that way, I think it is something that we wanted to put forward. But besides that also, that uh, during this election, we would really call it like a silent coup. Mm-hmm. In a way that if you look at the previous elections, in the build-up to the elections, of course, there was a lot of activities. We had Bursay, we had a lot of protests, you know. So you could really feel the momentum of the Inikalila momentum. Mm-hmm. But what happened this time, what, uh, what we feel is that it is a very interestingly a silent movement where people sort of made their decisions and uh, they really wanted this change. From our own evaluation, talking to people post-GE14, is that most of them knew us because we only stood in the constituencies that we have done some work. Mm -hmm. But people say that, you know, even though they recognized our work, they know what we're doing and what we stood for, but they clearly told us that they wanted to make sure that each of their votes counted to bring down Barisan National. And that's why they focused their votes in order to do this. And for us, we think it is a good move. In fact... We welcome it very much and it's also what we've been also aspiring for yeah. to bring down Barista National. So besides the defeat, I think it is a victory for the people and we share that same victory. Right. So you're focusing on the big picture now yes. at the end, right? Yes. How would you rate how the government so far has been doing? I mean, based on its selection of ministers or some of the policies that they're trying to push for? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is still an ongoing battle within the whole coalition itself, whereby you have progressive voices who want to really bring this thing forward. And there are still some uh, voices who really want to maintain the status quo. 
And I think it now it's a role of the civil society and uh, parties like us, like the PSM, whereby we have to keep pushing towards these progressive voices. I think one of the barriers that was able to break through was that the racial barrier, mm-hmm. whereby there's so much of discussions of who you're going to appoint as the attorney general, the right. ministers, right. the ratio. So it, this is an ongoing thing. But mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing that the leadership of Pakatan Harapan, they stood firm and they appointed the best person for the job. So these are some of the racial barriers which will keep coming up. Yeah. And because it can cut both ways, huh? As the Pakatan pushes on to more progressive issues, it can be also used by the right-wing people of to course, show the issues and contradictions and they can really rile up a lot of things. Yeah. So I think it is our job now that we have seen, it's difficult really to evaluate now. Even I think during the 100 days, it will be still difficult to evaluate because they are still setting up things. Yeah. I could still say that two days ago, we had an event where we submitted a memorandum to the Prime Minister's office. And basically, they were really not fully staffed properly, you know, right, right. because Mahade was still working from Padana Foundation. Mm-hmm. There's really no one there to receive our memorandum at the office. So, I mean, yeah. they are still, still early days. Still early yeah, days and, 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 and the, a lot of the people that we're seeing in mm. these positions as ministers have no experience. Yes. You know? And that's a good thing, right? It's fresh it's energy. A good thing. But it's a good thing. Uh, the transition is going to be slow. And yes. I think we have to be patient in terms yes, of what, what can materialize correct. out of that. In hindsight, though, uh, when you said that you feel that, you know, candidates from the Orang Asal community, mm. from the working class community, does it look like a risk? You know, tell us a little bit about the thought process. Like, were you that confident that there was a shift in the national sentiment that voters would take risks on candidates that have no experience? Or did you feel that, and this is sometimes how it looked like to me, that PSM is experimenting, that they're trying to gauge where the sentiment will go, that, you know, at the end of the day, it was really a gamble more than a calculated risk. How would you evaluate Mm. that decision in light of what you've learned? Okay, it was not really, uh, I mean, a risk or something like that because in comparison to the whole lineup candidates that Pakatan would have, I would really put up that uh, our guys were no less. La. They might be inexperienced, but they come from a different class of people. So they were not, might not be people who are involved, who have been very familiar with the bourgeois electoral system, but they were fighters. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I think we can base these people, besides they themselves as being a first-timers into the electoral process. But they come from a background of the vast experience that the Socialist Party has. And this is on the issues that we have done, you know, in terms of fighting for land rights for the farmers, in terms of over 20 years, fighting for housing rights for urban pioneers, minimum wage for plantation workers. So they come from this pool of experience of mm-hmm. people. So in no way that we can say that these people, they have not experienced or they have not really indulged or thought properly of the policies they want to bring if they voted in. Mm-hmm. But what we can also say of how the turnout had happened is that we PSM, actually, we pitched ourselves, I mean, before the G14, during the campaigning, is that we were still an ally of the Pakatan Harapan. We were in the same boat as to bring down Barisan National, and we were there to offer an alternative. It's quite a similar situation like in Sabah, whereby right. not everyone used the PKR logo, but Warisan was there, right. but they were in the same boat as Pakatan Harapan. So that's the same strategy that we were trying to pitch. But like I said, of course, people did not buy this. Lah. <laughs> right, right. Even though it's not a rejection of the PSM, as what people have shared to us, but they really wanted to make sure that each of their votes were focused and they wanted to bring down. 
And so why I can also reiterate this thing is that because all this, throughout these 20 years of our struggles, the masses and even the policymakers have sort of accepted all the arguments and the uh, proposals that we have brought forward in terms of housing rights for the urban pioneers. For mm-hmm. example, those days, quarters would not get anything. It was through our struggle for 20 over years that now people are recognizing their rights in terms of minimum wage. Those days, if I talked about minimum wage for plantation workers, the human resource ministry during the Barisan time, they just laughed at it, you know. But now it's a concept. Yeah. In yeah. terms of privatization of uh, water, we were very supportive when Slango government took over the water. So these are things which we think that in terms of the policies of the Socialist Party, it has received very well acceptance. Mm-hmm. The only thing is that in these elections, people were not willing to share their votes because of also the first-past-the-post system that we have. Right, right. And we were victims of it, but I think it is not a defeat of our ideas, but it's a defeat of the party in the current setup of the electoral system. Sure, sure. So in the long run, you do see that these ideas have acquired social purchase, right? People believe that these are not just pipe dreams, they're actual tangible policies, right? But So in the short term, it might not have been good news, but in the long run, you see that the work you've put in over the 20 years is bearing fruit. What does this say about whether or not socialism itself is an ideology, right? Can really speak to the masses, right? Because on one hand, you're right. Uh, you see these policies being taken up by people in power over time. But on the other hand, when it comes to casting their votes, they're still thinking along the lines of, you know, mainstream ideas, right? And not necessarily radical ones. So what happens to that term socialism then, right? Is it not yet time for it? Or do you feel that you need to rethink how you package your messaging? Or what's the thought process like? Okay, I think this is where we have to play a more firm role on building political consciousness. What has happened in G14, we would, we would look at it as a political wave, A political wave is something that, you know, sometimes you can read it correctly, sometimes you don't read it correctly. But a political wave is whereby the people, they sort of like vote away the previous oppressor mm-hmm. and they might vote in a new oppressor. Right. <laughs> Where you have political consciousness is basically the people are completely liberated from any oppressors, you know, mm-hmm. and they form the government of the people. So we think that our task now is to build political consciousness whereby people really understand on the problems that they are facing And how, when the politicians they offer certain programs, they are able to evaluate whether the core problems that they are facing now, it is caused by, what is it being caused by, and what political force is able to offer a solution to that. So I think that is our role that we have to play now, such that the people will understand the differences between different brands of politics. I think what we have now is that with the defeat of Barisa National, People have overwhelming hope on the current Harapan. Hope, Harapan, okay? And they will think that basically that uh, this will be the whole coalition which will solve all of their problems, right. okay? We also hope that. They will really bring about reforms and fine. But uh, once people realize is that once certain policies or certain issues are not dealt with in a correct way or the core issues are not still not being dealt with, then they'll be able to realize that the different brand of politics is the one which will ensure that their core problems are settled. Yeah. I think that is when the left governments are elected in various countries all over the world. I think it's the primary contradiction which happens to the society at that particular point of time, which will decide our fate. Right. If you look at Greece, you know, when they look, sure. we look at the economic problems, 
and then austerity measures. So when you have a left party talking about anti-austerity measures, they get the support. Same goes to Venezuela and the Latin American countries uh, who were the victims of the neoliberal policies during the times, during the 89 times. And when you have a left wave which is going against neoliberalism, they will get elected in through the electoral process. So I think our job now is to build the political consciousness for them to recognize the different brands and politics and which are the ones which will bring about a permanent solution to them. Yeah. I think that's a great way of looking at it, right? So the next step now that there's greater freedom of the media, that civil society uh, is actually in active participation in policymaking, the time is right now to build political consciousness, right? Whereas before, socialists were still on a defensive, right? Because the government's not friendly to them. There was so much censorship, even, you know, T-shirts were seized and people were put in jail and stuff like that. Whereas now it seems that there's more room for discourse. My question is that task of building political consciousness, an argument can be made that is better done from inside the coalition, right? Rather than from the outside. So you actually have socialists in the party right now, Matsabu, for example, right? Jomo, right? Uh, okay, granted, you know, we can debate on, you know, the particular factional issues that raises, but they're in touch, you know, they, they are familiar with what you're trying to do as well. They just take maybe a different strategy. So weigh the pros and cons of being inside the coalition and outside the coalition in terms of, you know, if you really want to build political consciousness, right? Mm. You have two channels now, outside mm. and inside. So mm. what do you make of that? Uh, I would really uh, defer a bit on that because even before coming into power when Pakatan was in charge of Penang and also in Slangor, we had good people there. For example, like our MP for Klang, Charles Santiago. He was one person who was very outspoken. He was again the TPPA trade agreement right. and so on. But never in their party or even the coalition could make a clear stand on this regarding the international trade agreements and so on. So we find that, okay, we have these progressive voices within the coalition, but I think their hands are tied to a certain extent whereby they simply cannot make a statement, you know, even though now you see after the GE14, most positions and most statements are done by the Prime Minister Mahade. While the other leaders, they might have different views, but they will have to sort of tactfully do or make statements politically in line with... So I think our task as a socialist party, we have been very clear since day one. Many of our asked us is that why you never really joined Pakatan Harapan and so on, and even Pakatan Rakyat before that. But I think we were very clear in our task. As far as the Malaysian politics are concerned, we look at ourselves as the holding up the socialist flag mm-hmm. or holding up the left discussions in Malaysian politics. And if you want to do that, you must be seen standing separately. If you're standing under an umbrella, no one's going to look at you, you know. So you have to stand separately, even though you're small, and your voice must be heard. So people can see the different brands in the politics. So I think that is what we will have to do now. So I would feel that our role is to be outside the coalition, Mm -hmm. but yet engaging the coalition in different issues. So I think that will be a better strategy for now for us. But of course, I do agree with you that PSM, we might have the substance, we might have the thought, but I think we are very bad in branding it. <laughs> We're not good in really marketing it, you know. So that is something that we are really thinking about and coming up with new phase on how to really to brand left discussion into the Malaysian scenario. Right, wonderful. So let's take a break for now. You are listening to Night School. I'm Ahmad Fat Rahman alongside Sivarajan Arumugam, the Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia, where we reflect on possible socialist strategies moving forward in light of the lessons from the 14 general elections. We'll be right back after this. 
BFM 89.9, you're listening to Night School. I'm Ahmad Fawad Rahmat. Alongside me this week is Comrade Sivarajan Aramugam and we are discussing what socialism means now after GE14, what strategies there are in moving forward and the pros and cons there. In the first part of the show, we talked about the general overview of the situation and the possible ways of balancing the outsider position and the insider position right between being the uh, conscious voice outside the system while trying to work with it. Now, paint us a picture of the immediate aftermath, right? As you were watching, I don't know, Malaysia Kini or Awani or whatever, as on that night, you saw the results come out, right? What were the immediate thoughts that came to mind and what were the reactions within the party? Okay, we were also surprised, (laughs) Because we know that, um, I mean, winning, of course, we had with all the seats that we stood, 16 over seats, we were hopeful that we would win some of those seats, Mm -hmm. you know, because of the information that we had on the ground and the work that we have done. But we were quite taken by surprise by the defeat. Worse still, the bad defeat, you know, the number of votes that even like Dr. Kumar got and so on. But it slowly sank into us that, you know, okay, this is what the Malaysian population was looking at. Actually, frankly speaking, at one point of time, even though when I was looking at my own results in Kota Damansara, so after looking at the votes basically trickling in, I just stopped and just started looking at the national results, you know, because we already know what's going to happen. So I think that when we looked at the national results, I think that was was more encouraging and Mm -hmm. that we just continue monitoring until 3 a.m. that that day. So so I think we, we got a message. And among the party leadership and the party members, they were not like very disappointed and all that. But more disappointed were our supporters, actually, because they really assisted us in this whole campaign. But I think we did understand. We we got a message very clearly and we we accepted it. I Mm -hmm. think for us, being a political party, we must be... Uh, what we think is that we must be able to listen and must be understand the signals. And we were willing to accept it. And we we were more happy, actually, because we were able to finally overthrow BN. So I yeah. think that is the thing that we felt. Yeah. To what extent do you read the major change in Malaysia to be in line with the broader global sort of the new electoral sensibility now, right? Because you're getting a lot of shocking results across many elections around the world, right? Trump is for an example, right? The Brexit referendum, for example, or even Jokowi, right? Somebody post-reformacy, where voters are more willing to take risks than, say, previous elections, you know? So to what extent is this really a substantial awareness of the Malaysian electorate with regards to the kinds of changes that Malaysia needs to make? Or is it just you know, an intense emotional protest vote. I mean, what's your what's the party's mm. reading? What's your own personal reading of that? I think basically what the Malaysians have achieved now is basically something they have been longing for a very long time. And in, I feel that it has been postponed many times, at least for besides GE14, I think even GE12, GE13, you know. So it's a wave that has been postponed. And it's quite difficult to really make it in context of in other countries happening globally because you don't like... There's no really a domino effect. You don't see a wave happening in the region. But I think what has happened in Malaysia is very historical in whereby it is very peaceful. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of talks before the GE14 where they were thinking that Barisan National would not give in power that easily. They would cause chaos, the National Security Council and all those. There's a lot of frightening things people were thinking of. But quite interesting also that Najib did, you know, concede this. And so I think it's very something that we really cannot compare with what has happened among our neighbours. 
but i think it was something which is uh, delayed for a very long mm. time and so it's only the first time after 60 years we were able to achieve this and yeah so basically maybe in the next elections we will see something different yeah, yeah but this was something was very delayed and it should have happened without even the gerrymandering which has happened many times ago it should have happened much earlier but through all this political maneuvering yeah. it happened today la yeah what's your sense of why it happened right because on one hand there's a standard analysis that says najib is just not likable it's a personality thing right so even people in his party can't relate to him right because there's something something very distant about him you know so and it's all about how he just wasn't convincing even if in his closing campaign speech he was a bit nervous he was reading from the speech he didn't have that charisma and people just didn't feel like rallying behind him whereas mahadev is this you know a familiar figure he had a proven track record you know he was the good old days of malaysia in the 90s and so forth uh, but then there's a smaller sentiment says well this is not really about personalities because of real life bread and butter issues right economy was bad people weren't really feeling the hard work they put in is translating to real wages and so forth so how do you balance then between the personality factors that najib just wasn't a strong candidate and on the other hand the real life ground factors right do, do you see that one is more dominant than the other or there two interacting factors somehow what's your analysis of course the whole issue uh, it was focused around najib and the one mdb scandal but i think like i said it's much more of a bigger thing whereby it's not only a rejection of najib and one mdb but it's a re- rejection of the whole barisan national you know is rejection of the racist policies rejection of amno also the rejection of how the barisan national mps have performed so arrogantly in the parliament you know right. you no know, really how the speaker has conducted himself how mic has conducted himself through all the scandals mca so the whole package of rot <laughs> that right, we have experienced right. in this whole uh, 60 years that has come to its peak i feel maybe during even badawi's time eh, it was not so bad but it sort of like manifested to its peak so bad that people were rejecting all of this yeah. it's a big package uh, i think that is what has actually happened la. not to say najib per se it's right, not the thing right. uh, and that's the interesting thing about the way politics unfolds in malaysia is that it's very slow mm. right it's not intense and drastic like say thailand or indonesia right <laughs> where changes come in waves you know so that's to me indicative of I mean positive and negative right in that the changes are going to always be gradual step by step reformists but this way the likelihood of it sustaining is more viable right in the sense where in the region you've seen a lot of drastic changes but that just breeds more insecurity too so in a way the slow and steady pace is actually not a bad thing right yes i think we can say that also where people are more more balanced in the way lah mm-hmm. okay so in more balanced in a way that they put in some thought into this thing and then they come out in action so even though you look at the how the berse protests have conducted themselves all of these years eh? i mean people are very clear on how they don't want it to be diverted into violent and so on it's much more in a decent manner i think the majority of people they feel that it has to be changed by change a peaceful change so i think that's a very good thing that nations are looking forward to mm-hmm. but of course of even though the popular vote was always there but they were unable to achieve this because of the uh, the electoral process uh, which yeah. has been tainted which has happened all this while so in a way that what will happen after this probably we could see the gradual but i also find that there is a balance whereby uh, after 60 years when people are 
uh, able to overthrow. They are more anxious now. They are more asking for faster changes. So people are, in fact, moving ahead of the politicians sometimes. So they will not wait for politicians to deliver right. because they've already understood their power. So it's difficult to say. So we can find a combination of this lah, where the masses, the maybe the bigger masses, really want to give more time. They want to enjoy this change that they what they have experienced. But there will be also a group of people who are more progressive who want to f- see faster changes. Yeah. So there will be a combination of this lah. Right. But in a way that it also depends on how the current new coalition performs itself. If it's much more listening, much more open, you know. Understanding, or what we call by uh, governing by obedience, you mm-hmm. know, that means you obey to what the people say and you govern accordingly. And yeah, they would last long if they are able to perform this way, lah. Yeah. So on that point, when you say that there are trajectories that you feel are progressive in light of the balance, right? That things, some things have to go slow, some things you can kind of push further, right? And then earlier you said that you're having issues about marketing or branding yourself, so. In moving forward, what are the lessons for branding mm. that PSM is considering right now? Why hasn't it really resonated, mm. and how are you going to change that? Okay, so looking at the how Pakistan might conduct itself, like I said earlier, but we here we see we have to see that uh, how in the uh, the Malaysian context they will be sort of influenced by the global context so how economic plays out and everything so even though there will be some ministers who are thinking very progressively on to bring about certain changes but what we feel is that they might not be able to push forward away because they are still controlled by the local international economics mm-hmm. so here is where that i think the voice of psm we can be in a way critical and also in terms of constructive in a way For example, if you look at maybe international trade, you know, there might be some ministers who share our views in how we should do international trade, yeah. but in a way that they might not be fully be able to sort of cut away or execute what they want to do. Yeah. So here's where I think we should voice out to say that what is the principal position on how trade should be done, not for the corporations, but we need trade for the people. So those kind of things, I think, is where that we can come in and show that why the socialist policies are different. From what the Pakatan is doing, similar will go to even different things. On even though certain issues about land and even housing, what we have seen in even in Selangor and even Penang and how Pakatan has uh, governed, how the perspective of land rights, how Pakatan sees it, and how we see it is very different. Yeah. All right. They might look at people as saying that if you don't have land titles, no matter how long you have lived there, you're still considered a tenant, you know, and right. you have to vacate. But we will look at it in a different, in terms of land possession rights, in those issues. So those major issues, I think, where we can sort of put in the wedge there and show that why we are different. Same goes to even issues like privatization. Mm-hmm. Dr. Zol is there now with the health ministry. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy. But how much he can sort of push through progressive policies in terms of affordable medicines, you know, in terms of can he really cap the growth of uh, private hospitals? Because PSM always argued that because of the growth of private hospitals, it has sort of drained away all the specialists from the government service, and that has sort of downgraded the service of the government hospitals. But will Dr. Zul be able to push that line, yeah. or will he also be accepting? That there must be health tourism. Yeah. Will he accept more private hospitals to grow? So I think here is where that we can put forward our policies to show that why we need social policies which are more pro people, which are more pro socialist, yeah. because these are the things that will be able to solve the core issues, lah. 
I don't doubt that in that a lot of people who know your party mm. uh, support you for the most part. You know, like they are behind your principles. Mm. They, they see that the policies you promote are urgent, you know. But I think there's also a question of quote-unquote winnability, right? In that you also need a national face and you also need personalities that can make your party more appealing, right? So half of it is a perception game, right? And whereas other parties, even PPBM, might have somebody like Said Sadiq, for example, you know, young relatable to the masses, you know, whereas, you know, PKR have Fami Fazil and Nurul Iza. These are bridges, right, that add very interpersonal and memorable touch, you know, to the messaging, right? So I think the concern as well from people who are outside looking in see that, you know, on one hand, you're right in your policies, but you're also a mass party. You're not an NGO, right? A lot of NGOs can mm-hmm. make those policies. They can mm-hmm. make those policy recommendations. But when you want to be relatable at a national level, right? You need people who can do promotions and marketing. I know it's, it's really like, I wish politics wasn't reduced to that. Mm. But unfortunately, because so much of it is social media, so much of it is about culture too, that the right personalities matter as well, you know? So what do you say to that? Okay, I would say that we are not very good in uh, branding ourselves or in a way, like what you said, marketing ourselves well. So I think that is one thing that we are seriously discussing in our coming up Congress. And we really, like I said, that we have the substance, we have ideas, yeah, but yeah, we really need to put it out in a way that the dream would be if we can sort of grow to a level where the public can perceive us as what Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn is doing ah, in the yes, UK. Yes. There is a very clear misinformation or say a misperception whereby people really look at us as a as a party for the proletariat only. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a party which only is keen on fighting for plantation workers, a party which is only keen on fighting for the urban poor and the B40. We are all, not only that. Now, how do we make a greater appeal, the bigger appeal for the larger section of society? And it's not to say that we really have to reconstruct ourselves. In fact, those things we are bringing are for the larger appeal. For example, that if you talk about affordable housing, mm-hmm. it is not only for the B40. Yeah. Affordable to- healthcare too. Yes. Yeah. We are also talking about the young, young people who are just graduated, young executives who cannot really afford houses now. Healthcare. We have policies on international trade agreements. We are the only party who have come up with a people's charter on international trade agreements. So there is a lot of things there. But how do we put it up there? And make an appeal to say that, you know, we have a policy which sort of like is, is suitable yeah. and giving an alternate way on how you can govern the country. So I think that is where that we have failed to really put it out there. And that's where we should try. But our problem is that is that once we really come out of the media is on those issues that we are fighting on the ground. Right, right. So when there's an eviction happening... People call us and we go there to fight eviction. So every time people see us in the media, we are there fighting for the poor, the oppressed. Mm-hmm. And that naturally gives us the perception that we are just doing this work. Right, but it's not right. It's not only that. Yeah. So we are in a process of sort of rebranding ourselves. But in a way, I think we should, even though it's not something that we want to do, like you said, the personality politics, uh, if you look into the website of the Labour Party, the first picture which comes up is Jeremy Corbyn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? Yeah, yeah. So that might not be in a way that how left parties would want to operate, you know, sort of like idolizing right, right. a personality. But sometimes you have to yeah. play on both tracks, you know, because you need a face. At the same time, you need to show that you're more than a one-person party. Yeah, so yeah. we have to do both of that. I think that's part of the rebranding discussions we are doing now. Yeah, Huey Newton has this phrase that I like, um, and he's the legendary Black Panther icon. Right? He talks about revolutionary patience. Uh, it's not 
your time every time, right? And the idea here is to strike when it's the most strategic time, right? And if you look at the example of Corbyn, for about 20 years, he was a nobody, right? People looked at him as this like radical lunatic, you know, yeah. same as Diane Abbott and John McDonnell, all those, he right? So f- in their 20s and 30s, they were just these the like, neighbor. yeah, mm. weird outcasts during Blair's time, but now they're mainstream figures, yeah. right? So it's weird how history plays out, yes. you know? Right. So again, I think it's good that you take stock and you're, you, you see the issues that needs mm. to be handled. And I think... Right now is the time to think about those questions about rebranding, about how to have sort of a national image rather than a grassroots one. So uh, what are your concluding thoughts with regards to this discussion? For those who are listening who know about PSM and want to know more about how they're going to move forward with their strategies. Mm. Well, what I'd like to say is that many who approached us say that, you know, they were very sad. Actually, they were more sad than us. They say that, oh, this very bad defeat for you, Dr. Kumar, and so on. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's quite funny because we are a party since our establishment in 1998. We were not structured around elections. So we were not really sort of head of policies and programs around elections. So elections was basically a program, one of those campaigns, one of the programs that we did throughout in our 20 years history. So it never really determined our survival. Besides, if you look at other bourgeois parties, electoral system would determine the survival, but not for us. So yeah. that's why that we were very active, even though it was not also an election time. You know, So for us, the election defeat is something that we learn from, but it will not stop us from continue progressing like we have done all of these years. Right, right. So I think that is what, but like what you said very, very clearly just now is that it is not our time now, but that does not mean that our ideas are not relevant. Mm-hmm. Just like to share one thing is that it's quite interesting. 9th of May, we got the election results. We suffered a lot of defeat. From 9th of May up to today, there's at least what 100 of people, new oh. people have joined the party. Oh. Now, that is very interesting. Why would people want to join the party who have just lost very, very badly yeah. in the elections? And what so, did they say? What did they tell you? Like, why? Well, these are some online members, mm-hmm. people coming in. So it looks like there is still a platform with people who want to look for different ideas, want to look for opposition. So people might seem that what was the opposition before, now is the ruling government, such that you still need a credible opposition to voice out whatever inconsistency which is happening. Right, so people right. might look at our ideas, you know, to make that credible opposition platform. So I think that is something that we should be always there to discuss about. So, like I said, it's not a defeat of our ideas. It's just it's not our time. And we feel that if we can really create this political consciousness among among everyone, mm-hmm. then empowering people, and people will be the one who will be able to evaluate which political ideology sort of really solves your problems. Yeah, that's interesting. And we wish you all the best, you know. And if you want to know more about the party, Google Party Socialist Malaysia, you'll find a website and, you know, just contact the party there. Uh, they're always available and interested to answer your queries. Uh, but thanks so much again, uh, Siva, for sharing your thoughts with us today. Uh, Thank you, BFM. Great yeah. to hear from you. Email the show at bfmnightschool.gmail.com. Look us up on Facebook as well. Just type BFM Night School on the search space. And it's partysocialist.org, right? Dot my or something. Is that what's the what's but the website? It is partysocialist.org. Dot my. Oh, is there a my at the end? No, no. Okay. No, Partysocialist.org. But even that, we are rebranding the website now. Oh, okay. So <laughs> uh, check that out in the coming months and give okay. comments to the party for uh, how they can improve their branding. Uh, or you, they're available on Twitter as well, right? So. Thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget to download our app at the Apple App Store. I'm Ahmad Fawad Rahman and this is Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.